Uh, before I start, you know, I just want to give all of you guys just freedom today to speak out your words of affirmation as I preach. Yes, like, mm-hmm, preach. What else is there? Like, that's good, you know? And, you know, if you're Anthony Cobbler, then you do the, whoa, my, you know, or the, whoa, my, my. <laughs> so, um, you know, our, our church, we're not a very quiet church. I don't know if you guys noticed, but um, so even as we listen to the word that's being preached, um, it's not just the cultural thing. It's not just the black church thing. You know, it's not just a Pentecostal thing, but it really is that when the word is being spoken out and you come into verbal, like verbal agreement with it, there's a power that's released, you know? And so I just want you guys to know that this is not, um, you know, it's not a TV program that you're watching. You're not just watching me up here performing in front of you, but this is a communal experience that you are an active participant in. And so I want you to take hold of the revelations by speaking out those amens. Okay. Got it. Amen. Amen. Yeah. Yes. Okay. <laughs> okay. Yeah. So, you know, yesterday was Seaside's first Thanksgiving banquet and you know, there's so many more to come. Right, but it was so good yesterday, right? And we and we just have to recognize also Pastor Caleb, who you know led the games and you know did all that, and it was so much fun. There was so much joy in the house, and um, you know, like I was teaching my first graders about the history of Thanksgiving because you know they're Korean kids, they have no idea why I'm making them making make turkeys and stuff. You know, <laughs> so <laughs> so I was teaching them about Thanksgiving, and it just kind of made me reflect upon how you know just like the pilgrims came all the way from england to the new world you know we in some ways in the same in a similar aspect we came you know from our home country to this land this new world called busan you know and yesterday was our first celebration it was our first like harvest right and i was just kind of overwhelmed by how good god has been to us and not just in a generic sense but he's been so good to us in this land specifically in busan right and so i just yeah, I was just so, like, so, just so filled with joy, you know? Um, so I just wanted to tell you guys, really love you guys. You guys are great. <laughs> um, okay, if you're ready for the message, I want you to say, I'm ready. I'm ready. All right. <laughs> wow. Okay, so, <laughs> okay, let's not overdo it. Okay. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Okay, why don't you turn to Exodus chapter 3, verses 16 through 17. Okay, to give you just a bit of a context for these two verses, um, this is right after Moses encounters God in the burning bush. Okay, and so this is what God speaks to Moses. Okay, I'm just going to read it. Um, It says, and he says to Moses, go and gather the elders of Israel together and say to them, the Lord, the God of your fathers, the God of Abraham, of Isaac and of Jacob has appeared to me saying, I have observed you and what has been done to you in Egypt. And I promise that I will bring you up out of the affliction of Egypt to the land of the Canaanites, the Hittites, the Amorites, the Perizzites, the Hivites and the Jebusites, a land flowing with milk and honey. Amen. So 
you guys are probably familiar with the history of um, Israel and how they were enslaved in Egypt for about 400 years. And so these verses that we just read, um, God is sending the deliverer Moses to um, the Israelites to free them from their bondage. And here he's, sa- he's saying, you know, I see my people and I see the affliction that they've been under. And because I've seen their pain and their affliction, I'm going to send you, Moses, to deliver them. Um, but if you look in these verses carefully, the promise is, is twofold. It's not just let my people go up out of Egypt, but it's let my people go up from Egypt and let my people go into the promised land, into the land flowing with milk and honey. So his purpose, God's purpose is not just to set the Israelites free, but is to also take them into their destiny, into their promised land. So freedom from Egypt was not the end of the matter. It was only the step that they needed to take to go to their final destination, which was the promised land. And we see this more clearly if you kind of go way back in, in their history And um, you see how God made a covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob that he will give them the land of the Canaanites. You know, God makes this covenant with um, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. And in Genesis 35, verse 12, we read that the land that I gave to Abraham and Isaac, God is talking to Jacob, I will give to you, and I will give the land to your offspring after you. And this was hundreds of years even before the Israelites were ever enslaved in Egypt. And so when we think about this, we see that, you know, the reason why God was sending Moses to deliver his people, it's not just to free them, but it's also to fulfill his covenant promises that he made with Abraham, you know, in, in hundreds of years ago. You know, it was to send Moses to shepherd them into the promised land. Okay. So how many of you here, you believe that God wants you to be free? Amen. Amen? Yeah, come on. <laughs> so God wants you to be free, okay? And, you know, one of our core values is actually freedom is for? Everyone. Ah, guys are good. Okay. Um, and you don't, you don't have to be a Christian to value freedom. You know, people, they fight for freedom. They die for freedom, right? They die, you know, they, you know, I watched Argo, you know, like, to be free. <laughs> like, they would go to, you know, all, they would do all kinds of things just to get free, and freedom is like a, it's a worthy cause that I think God just created people to in, just innately, they, they long for it. And um, so even in Christianity, you know, we don't struggle against flesh and blood, but we struggle against spiritual forces of darkness. And as we struggle against our flesh and as we struggle against sin, and, you know, God gives us victory over an area, you know, how do you feel? You know, let's say you had an addiction and that you're free from it. I mean, it's a... It's, reason to celebrate so you jump up and down right and it's because that if you if anybody has struggled with addiction or like a habitual sin you know that that that's that battle is real i mean it is so real right and when you get the victory you know it's, it's an occasion to celebrate and god wants you to be free and the freedom that he wants you to walk in is not 98% 98% freedom or 99% freedom or 99.9999% freedom, but it's 100% freedom, okay? He wants you to be completely, fully free, and he wants you to aim for full freedom in your life, okay? And, you know, Jesus Christ, when he went to the cross, the last thing that he said was, it is finished, and finished means finished, okay? It means complete it means everything all of your sin all of your shame 
everything has been accounted for. Nothing has been left, okay? And, 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 and there's no room for compromise in your life. There's no room for just the good enough. Because when Jesus went to that cross, he said, it's all done. It's completed. But a lot of Christians, we live this life of, like, half freedom, you know? We're like, oh, you know, at least I'm not sleeping around with people. Like, I may have some lustful thoughts here and there, you know, like, I may look at some porn, whatever, but at least I'm not, you know, going out and sleep, you know, sleeping around. And so they just think like, oh, that's good enough, right? But, you know, brothers and sisters in your life, you need to aim for full freedom. Your goal must be to experience the fullness of Christ's work, to receive the fullness of your inheritance that you gain as a son of God. Okay, otherwise the work done upon the cross by Jesus, it's, you know, you, you, you kind of nullify it, right? And, you know, God wants you to be free, but he doesn't stop there. You know, he wants you to be free from slavery, and he wants you to go in and take possession of the promised land. Just like the Israelites, you know, they were in slavery to sin. um, Excuse me. They were in slavery, and we also were in slavery. We were in slavery to sin and to death. You know, we were oppressed by Satan. But God sent Jesus Christ to deliver us. On, um, and, and Jesus Christ came on this mission to get people free. But Jesus did not just come so that you can be free, you can get saved and go to heaven. You know, that is not the entirety of the gospel message, although it is for some of us. Um, get forgiven, saved, and, you know, on, while on earth you live a nice life, you live a law-abiding life, you know, you don't jaywalk, you know, you do the right things. Um, that kind of life, like, Sure, that's good. And, you know, when you die, you go, you know, go, you go to heaven. You're at the pearly gates, right? Um, but you see, that's the gospel of salvation, but it's not the gospel of the kingdom. You see, the good news of the kingdom does not just say get forgiven, get free, get saved, and die and go to heaven. It says get forgiven, get free, and enter into your destiny and God-given purpose for you here on this earth. Amen. Amen. And your destiny is to enter and possess the promised land. You know, God sent his deliverer, um, Jesus Christ, his son, so that Jesus could deliver us and then shepherd us into the promised land. Um, The destiny of the Israelites who were delivered from Egypt was to enter into this land that was flowing with milk and honey. You know, that was their destiny. But sadly, you know, the Israelites show us that it is possible to experience a mighty deliverance of the Lord um, from bondage and slavery and yet fail to enter into the promised land. Because as you guys know, the entire generation of the Israelites who were delivered, they were, they were wiped out in the wilderness and they failed to enter into their destiny. And it's not just a couple of them, but the entire generation had to die. And this was not a generation that had never experienced God's power, God's supernatural work, and God's faithfulness. It was a generation that saw God working in amazing ways in Egypt to deliver them from the hand of Pharaoh. And as you know, you know, Moses was sent to to speak to Pharaoh, and, you know, it's like, you know, God saying, let my people go, but Pharaoh hardened his heart. And so what did God do? You know, he sent these plagues, um, one after another, right? You know, he sent the... um, or first he, you know, turned all the water in Egypt into blood. Imagine that. Disgusting, right? All these plagues are pretty disgusting. And then the next one, the second one was he brought all these frogs 
Okay, and these frogs were like climbing into the Egyptians' beds and their ovens and everywhere. And then the next one was like the gnats and the, you know, the flies. And then like all these people and animals were like diseased. And all these boils were like breaking out on their bodies. And then all the firstborn, firstborn just died. And the firstborn sons, they all died. And so it was judgment, of course, for the Egyptians. But to the Israelites, they must have looked at it and said, wow, God is going to, you know, he's doing all of this just to free us, just to take us out of this bondage and the slavery and to bring us into the promised land. And then the cherry on top was that, you know, they're being chased by the Egyptian soldiers. And they, they get chased all the way to the Red Sea. And then the sea parts before their eyes. I mean, we, we've heard this story many times. Where we're like, yeah, of course the sea parts. Yeah, like, sure, that's normal. Like, it's not normal, okay? <laughs> like, imagine, like, Kwangali Beach out there, like, that thing parting. Like, that's pretty crazy. And I always wondered how you know, that would look. But, you know, all I had was, like, the Prince of Egypt, that movie, to kind of show me. But anyways, it's pretty crazy, the things that God did to deliver his people. And not only that, but after delivering them, um, and he brought, you know, God brought, he led them into the wilderness. And even in the wilderness, God was showing himself in supernatural signs and wonders. You know, he, it says that he led them in a cloud by day and in a pillar of fire by night. And then when they got hungry, what did he do? He brought the manna down. Yeah, heavenly food, anointed food, right? He just rained the manna down from heaven. And after all these things happened, unfortunately, um, the Israelites, they resorted to grumbling. They committed idolatry. And then they accused God of premeditated murder. No, they were saying, God, you brought us out, out of Egypt. You took us away from the meat pots of Egypt. And you brought us here into the wilderness to die. You know, you're trying to kill us here in this wilderness. And they continue, it said that they continue to test the Lord, their God. And when we think of testing the Lord, it's like, you know, it, it's, it's this unbelief that was rising up in their hearts. And when you have this unbelief, you're basically saying, God, unless you prove to me that you are faithful, I'm not going to believe in you. You're testing God's faithfulness. You're testing God's goodness. And so this is what they continue to do. And in Numbers chapter 14, God's like, I ha I haven't, I've had enough, right? I mean, God's very patient. Don't get me wrong, but, you know, sometimes you just, yeah. So in Numbers chapter 14, God says to them, None of the men who have seen my glory and my signs that I did in Egypt and in the wilderness and yet have put me to the test these ten times and have not obeyed my voice shall see the land that I swore to give to their fathers and none of those who despise me shall see it. So God showed his people over and over again, miracle after miracle, sign after sign, provision after provision, and yet they fail to believe in the Lord their God. And he makes this final decree in his righteous anger. You know, it's not this erratic decision like, you know, he was like overly sensitive that day and he was like, oh, mm, no more, right? It was not that. And, you know, God's not like a big, like, punishing meanie head up in heaven, like, you know, ready to, like, bop you over the head. He's not, like, counting all the strikes, like, strike one, strike two. Ah, uh, no more, right? Like, no, that's not, that's not what it is. But 
you got to get this, that God wanted his people to possess the land. It was his desire to lead his people into their destiny. Why would he go through all the trouble of sending all these plagues, of showing himself in supernatural ways if he did not want his children to go into the promised land? You know, he had every intention of taking them into their destiny. And God wants you also to possess the promised land. And he wants you to take hold of the promises that he has for you. But, you know, the Israelites, they never learned. They never learned to trust their God. They never learned. And so for 40 years, they wandered in the wilderness, you know, doing circles until they all died off. And so, you know, at this point, we have to ask a question, which is, you know, what, why, why did the Israelites fail to enter the promised land? And it was simply because they lacked repentance. Okay, so today I want to talk a little bit about repentance. Okay, it's a heavy word, I know. Okay, but why don't you say it? Say repentance. Okay, so most of us, you know, when we think of repentance, I think some of us were filled with this immediate sense of shame and condemnation. But if, you're, if that's what you feel, I'm just going to say that's not from the Lord. Okay? Repentance is not about feeling shame and condemnation. Right. You know, it says in the word of God that now there is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Right. And so repentance, okay, it is godly sorrow though. You know, when you do something wrong, you're like, oh man, shoot, right? <laughs> Shouldn't have done that again, right? And then you go to the Lord and you're like, God, I did this. And you confess with your mouth what you did. And then you, um, you turn away. Repentance is also about turning away from your sin. And this is good. You know, this definition of rep- repentance is good. It's true. Um, but I'm here to say to you that repentance is actually more than this. Repentance is a process of perceiving and coming into agreement with God on his perspective on things. Okay? Let me say that one more time. Repentance is a process of perceiving and coming into agreement with God on his perspective on things. Okay, it's not so much about confessing and about turning away from immorality. It's that too. But it's, it's also about you're seeing as God sees. You know, you're, you're doing as he does. And you, your heart is the way that his heart is. And you're coming into agreement, full agreement with his perspective. Let me just give you an example. Okay, so let's say that you have this incredible musical gifting, okay? You're like, you could honestly be the next K-pop star. Oh, K-pop star, yay. (laughs) But um, let's say, you know, you play the guitar really well. You know, you have an amazing voice, okay? And God is also saying to you in, in your quiet time, he's like, you know, I want you to lead worship. And every single time you come to Seaside and you look at Pastor Caleb and he's, you know, he's leading worship, and then he preaches, and then he does the announcements, and then he goes and counsels people. You're like, oh, man, I know I need to be up there and, like, helping him out a little, you know, especially because God's the one who's telling me to, and you have the anointing for it. But you, you struggle with this intense stage fright, okay? You're, like, so scared. Like, you just hate, like, coming up here and doing anything. So... You don't even tell anybody about your gifts. You don't tell anybody that you can play the guitar. Nobody knows. Nobody knows that God is telling you to lead worship. And, you know, it's not really a sin if you think about it. Like, there's no, um, 
law in the Bible, even in Leviticus and Numbers and all those millions of laws, there's no law that says, like, thou shalt lead worship, and if you don't, you shall be exiled and stoned or something like that, right? There's no such law, but the issue isn't about committing a moral evil here. The issue is about refusing to come into agreement with God's voice and his perspective on your life. So, you know, it's important when God speaks that you obey, okay? And I think Pastor Aaron said this, but obedience is, I might be, I think I'm paraphrasing what she said, but obedience is the fastest route to your destiny, okay? And so when God spoke to Abraham, he said, go, right? He said, go, leave, your, leave the land of your fathers and go. And what did Abraham do? He went, okay? And God still speaks. He's saying to you, do this, you know, lead this, take part in this. Take membership class or, you know, do this. But, you know, you, you, and then you ask for confirmation, which is good. Sometimes we need those confirmation and God will give you that confirmation. But there are times when if you harden your heart, you end up being like Jonah. Because to Jonah, God was like, hey, go here. And then Jonah was like, okay, see that, you know, I heard you, but I'm going over here. Okay. And then he turned his back and he went the opposite way, Right. And this kind of heart is an unrepentant heart. You know, although you may not be sleeping around, cheating, lying, stealing, doing drugs, or, you know, all of those, like, blatant sins, you may not be breaking the Ten Commandments, but can I just say it's a form of rebellion. You know, and this kind of rebellion, it will keep you from stepping into your destiny. Uh, Let me give you an example from the Bible, okay? Numbers chapter 13. You can turn there if you want. Um, The Lord, he commands Moses to send out some spies to look at, you know, to spy out the promised land. And, you know, Moses, he he starts to pick the leaders. And these are actually leaders who were the head of their tribes. They weren't just like any, any person, you know, in the Israelite community. But they were like the leaders. And you feel it would be like the active leaders. It would be like the core, okay, the core leaders. And Moses, like, he picks out these leaders, and he's like, okay, you guys go. And so they go into the promised land for 40 days. And they're there, and they're scouting out the land, and they see all, like, this amazing fruit. Like, the grapes are, like, you know, extremely plump and delicious looking. And they come back, and um, they come back, and and the people are like, okay, what is it? You know, like, how, what is, can you imagine their curiosity? And and they're like, okay, like, how is it? And... And then they're like, oh, yeah, you know, the land is actually, it is flowing with milk and honey. You know, you guys were, you know, Moses, you're right about that. God was right about that. But the people there are bigger than, like, they're huge. They're like giants, you know, and the, and, and the cities are fortified. And so they started to spread this, like, bad report. And, and for the people, imagine that these are not just any men. These are their leaders saying this to them. And imagine the effect that it could have had on the Israelite community. And so, you know, hold on, I lost my place. Okay, so they're, they're saying, yeah, the land is good. You know, you're right, but the people, they are too strong for us, and the cities are too large and fortified. Mm-hmm. And, and this is a land that devours its inhabitants. So they start to spread a fear-filled report. And honestly, like, is it, is it inherently evil for them to have said this? I mean, they went there. And then they came back, and then they just reported what they saw. 
You know, they saw giants. So they were like, yeah, there's a bunch of giants there. They saw grapes and they're like, oh, yeah, there's you know, really delicious grapes there, right? So they just reported exactly what they saw. But God saw this as rebellion. Why? You know, it was because the spies were spreading a report that directly opposed God's perspective on the situation. Okay? And God's perspective was this. Go check out this promised land because I'm giving it to you. You know, I want you to see how good it is. I want you to get that preview of how good it is, of how amazing it is. And I want you to come back and I want you to tell the people so that we can all celebrate together. But, you know, the spies, they went, they came back and they spread a fear-filled report. And so basically what they did was they denied and despised God's promise and God's voice. You know, it was rebellion. And, you know, fear is contagious, right? Fear spreads. And so it says in Numbers chapter 13, then all the congregation raised a loud cry and the people wept that night. And all the people of Israel grumbled against Moses and Aaron. The whole congregation said to them, would that we had died in the land of Egypt or would that we had died in this wilderness? Why is the Lord bringing us into this land to fall by the sword? Our wives and our little ones will become a prey. Would it not be better for us to go back to Egypt? And they said to one another, let us choose a leader and go back to Egypt. So let me take you back, okay? So so the Israelites were in Egypt for 400 years and they were delivered through just mighty signs and wonders. And they were in the wilderness, you know, and God was leading them supernaturally. And now they're at the brink of stepping into their destiny, into the promised land. They're at that threshold of walking into their destiny. The promised land is right in front of their eyes, you know. And they're, they're just about to, to possess the promises of God. All they need to do is just turn the knob and, go, and walk in. But because of the rebellious voices, the faithless voices of the spies, the whole community falls into unbelief and sin. And what do they say at the door of their des- destiny? They're like, let's go back to Egypt. Let's go back to the land of slavery. Let's go back to the land of oppression that we were in for 400 years, right? And they start to accuse God. They're like, God, how could you do this to us? How could you bring us all the way here just to kill us? You know, and then they rebel against Moses and Aaron, who were God-appointed leaders over them. And they start to say, oh, we're going to choose a new leader now. You know, this is full-out rebellion, you know? We want a new leader because we're going to go back. You know, this is not a promised land. Forget the promised land. You know, this is a land that devours its inhabitants. What were you talking about? This is not a promised land. And, you know, brothers and sisters, when you lack a repentant heart and when you do not learn to perceive and to come into agreement with the purposes of God, you can stand at the very brink of your destiny and miss it altogether. You see, without a heart of repentance, the promises of God will become despicable to you. Psalm chapter 106, 24 says, Then they, they meaning the Israelites, despised the pleasant land, having no faith in his promise. And there were only um, two men who were in agreement with God. Do you know who they are? Joshua and Caleb. Yay, Caleb. (laughs) Um, these were men who carried a true heart of repentance 
These were men who perceived as God perceived, you know, saw as God saw and moved as God moved. And in the midst of the spies, they're like spreading this bad report. Caleb is like, no. And he's, he's like, in Numbers 13, 30, he's like, be quiet, everyone. He's like, he, he started to quiet them. And I'm sure he had like a loud voice like Caleb, you know, our pastor Caleb. I think he had like a loud voice, right? And he's, he started to quiet the people before Moses. And he was like, let us go up at once and occupy it, for we are well able to overcome it. I think he was a cleric too. He's like, let's go at once. Let's do it now, right? <laughs> let's do this now. Um, it wasn't even like, hey, guys, like, let's just take some time. We can think about it, you know. Let's have some more prayer meetings and, like, you know, hear from the Lord again, get, like, three more confirmations, and then we'll go. It's like, no, let's go now because the Lord has given us this land, right? Let's go now. Now is the time. We can do this. You know, we didn't come all the way over here to just back out now. And in the next chapter, we read about how Joshua and Caleb, they confront the whole Israelite community. They're the only two men who got it straight, you know, who got it right. And so they're called, they start to call the people to repentance. And they're like, they said, only do not rebel against the Lord. These were bold men. You know, imagine standing up against the whole congregation of people and saying, only do not rebel against the Lord. They were saying, you know, if the Lord delights in us, he will surely give us the land. Only do not rebel against the Lord. And what did the people do? They threatened to stone them. Not the best result, right? Um, so the Israelites, they never got it. Uh, they might have turned away from some of their sins that they picked up in Egypt, but they never developed a repentant heart before God. They saw plenty of miracles, but at the slightest inconvenience, they came into agreement with the spirit of fear rather than the spirit of God. And brothers and sisters, some of you have big assignments on your life. You know, I look at some of you and I'm like, man, they're so talented. You have so many gifts. You have so much anointing. And some of you, like, you've been prophesied, like, over and over again. You are, you know, you're a leader. You're anointed. You have this many talents. Yeah, you can do this. You know, you're going to go out and change the world. Like, you, you know, there's this huge assignment that God has given you in your life. And you have an amazing call. Um. But if you don't come into agreement with God's promises and his perspective, and you continue to agree with the spirit of fear, you're going to be forever wandering in the desert, and you will never fulfill your destiny, okay? This is a hard word. I know it, okay? But it's, it's true, okay? And I, I don't want any of us here to fall into this. You know, don't do that, right? Don't, don't agree with the spirit of fear. Because every one of us, God wants to take us into our destiny, Okay, don't let the lack of repentance block you from fulfilling your destiny. Because you can be the most loving person in the world. You, know, you can come out to church faithfully every Sunday. You're on time. And you tithe faithfully. You know, you're doing everything right. You're, you're serving. You know, um, you're a generous giver. Um, but if you are not bringing your heart and your mind into full agreement with God and his perspective on your decisions and relationships, you're still walking in rebellion. You're just a clean rebel. You're just a nicely packaged Christian rebel, but you're still a rebel, okay? So if we're to walk in true repentance, you know, perceiving as God perceives, 
then we need to be able to hear the voice of the Lord. You know, not just through the written word of God, but we need to hear the, wor- the voice of the Lord. Okay? Deuteronomy 8, chapter 3 says, And he humbled you and let you hunger and fed you with manna, which you did not know, nor did your fathers know, that he might make you know that man does not live by bread alone, but man lives by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord. Okay? And this verse, it was quoted somewhere else. Do you guys know? In the, the 40 days in the wilderness when Jesus was being tempted by the devil, right? And Jesus is, you know, Satan's like, oh, turn this stone into bread. And Jesus is like, man does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of God. And, you know, when we read this verse, a lot of times we think about it as, oh, it's the Bible, you know? It's the Bible. And, and you know, that's a fair interpretation. But back in, you know, back in these days when, you know, uh, in the Deuteronomy, when Deuteronomy, you know, sorry, I'm like, okay. Deuteronomy, and, and in the time when Jesus was tempted, there was no Bible, okay? So what does this mean then, okay? And what it is, is man shall not live by bread alone, not by every word that is written down, but by every word that is spoken by the mouth of God. Because God still speaks. Surprise. God still speaks, okay? God is not an idol, that he cannot speak. You know, he, he still speaks and his voice is, is li- his word is still living and active. Okay? And you've got to learn to obey. You've got to learn to discern that voice. And when you hear his voice and you know that something in your life is not in alignment with that voice, then what do you do? You respond in repentance and you turn away. You know, a famous preacher said, many Christians repent enough to get forgiven but not enough to see the kingdom. Okay, let me say that again. Many Christians repent enough to get forgiven, but not enough to see the kingdom. You see, when Jesus began his ministry, what did he say? He said, repent for the kingdom of heaven is at hand. And if you want to see the kingdom come in your life, you know, in your workplace, in Busan, in this nation, and wherever you go, you know, if you want to possess that promised land, you've got to go deeper in your repentance. And what that means is you need to stop just repenting of all moral issues. You know, all the little, you know, laws that you break, you know, all the little rules that you break of repenting of not doing your quiet time. You know, and you need to start coming into full agreement with the Lord about what he is actively speaking to you in regards to your identity your life, your situations, your decisions, and your relationships, okay? Your repentance needs to go to a deeper level. The word of God, you know, it says that we must no longer be conformed to the patterns of the world, but be transformed by the renewal of our minds. And, you know, when we repent, our minds are being conformed to kingdom values and kingdom patterns, and a lot of the things that we've learned in the past, you know, in our days in Egypt, in bondage, you know, we got to unlearn them. And a lot of us, we're, we're saved, but we still live with this slave mentality. We still live with this identity as a slave and not as a son. But only the, only, it's only the sons that can manifest the kingdom. It's only the sons who can, who can see the father and do as the father does. And if, you're, if you have a slave mentality, you cannot manifest the kingdom. 
You know, it's the sons who walk in covenant relationship with God and who follow the leading of the Spirit. And when a slave, you know, hits a little bump on the road, what do they do? They immediately start thinking about back in the days, you know. Their first instinct is to go back to Egypt. Like, go back to the old sin patterns. Go back to the old, like, habitual sin that you were, part, you, you were under. And it, you can see this kind of in um, women who are taken out of sex trafficking in the, in the sex trafficking industry. And, you know, they're, they're rescued from these, like, abusive pimps. And a lot of them actually return out of their own volition, okay? And it's because though, though they may have been physically rescued, in their minds, their minds are still under bondage, okay? And, and so whenever you go back to these sin patterns, you're basically forfeiting your authority to the devil, and you're giving him access into your life again. So we have to perceive and we have to agree with God on who he says we are, not the enemy, okay? Our identity is as sons and not as slaves. And for sons, when things start to get a little bit hard, do they look back at Egypt? No. You know, they, they continue to look forward. They continue to hold on tenaciously to the promises of God. Because when they look at the Father in, in their, you know, difficulties and their hardships, they look at the Father, and the Father is saying to them, be strong and courageous. You know, do not fear, because I'm with you. I'm going before you. Okay? And so they hear the voice of the Father, and they continue to press on and press in. And they say, you know, I can't go back from here. You know, I can't go back. Um, a lot of Christians have been healed from, you know, different traumas. You know, if you've gone through the healing and deliverance ministry with our church, you've been healed of different traumas and addictions. Um, but it doesn't mean that just because you've been healed that, you're, uh, that, you, that you're, you've stepped into your destiny, okay? Um, it's because a lot of Christians, they've adopted a very powerless form of Christianity, like a form of religion, okay? And they think, oh, this is as good as it gets, you know? They have a form of religion, but they deny the power of God, okay? They come to church, and they do the right things, and you live a right life, but, you know, if God is not manifesting in your life with power, then you're not walking in the gospel of the kingdom, okay? And even, like, today and, and, you know, this past week, actually, God was kind of convicting me through kind of what Pastor Mina said um, in one of our team meetings about how we need to be coming to church with expectation in our hearts, okay? And I felt like God was saying to me today that if you don't come with expectation, okay, you're basically just doing church. You're, you're, you're doing it like you're doing some kind of duty. You're doing it like it's a religious ritual, okay? But when you come with expectation, what that means is you recognize that God is living, that you come to worship the living God, and that he has a new thing for you today, okay? And so it's important that we live a life that is filled with the power of God. And, you know, a lot of, you know, these Christians who live this powerless Christian life, you know, they think, oh, well, the promised land is heaven, okay? But it's not that hard to get into that promised land. Now, all you need to do is just die, Okay? It's not that hard. <laughs> Seriously, if you die, you just go there, okay? Um, but the promised land that we're talking about, it's, it's something that requires you to 
take on some battles, you know, to confront the demonic forces of this world. It takes you to be bold as a lion. It takes you to pray and intercede for nations, okay? And 1 Corinthians 4.20 says, the kingdom of God is not a matter of talk, it's a matter of power, okay? So are you a talking Christian? Is, are you all talk? Or, are you, or do you have the power of God in your life? So what is the promised land for the believer, okay? The promised land for the believer is living life in the realm of the kingdom, of the king's domain, okay? It's living life in the realm of the kingdom, of the king's domain, okay? This is why Jesus Christ, the son of God, came to this earth. He took on the form of man, and he went to the cross, and he died. He suffered for us so that wherever we go, we will bring the kingdom. You know, wherever we go, the king's domain will spread. You know, when you go to your workplace, you're not just going as Roy Chung, the worker, okay, the, the teacher, but you're going as an ambassador of Christ. You're carrying his authority, okay, that he has given you, that he has endowed upon you. And so when you go to that, your, your workplace, you're like, this is the king's domain. This is his land. This is, his, his, this is a place where his authority will reign and rule, okay? And so when you're in your family, you're like, this is the king's domain, you know? You take authority over your family. And even when you pray, it's not, oh, God, like, do this for me. But you pray as Jesus taught us to pray. You know, God, Lord, let your kingdom come on earth as it is in heaven. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. You know, when Adam and Eve sinned, um, what they did was they handed over their authority to Satan, okay? And, and the king's domain here on this earth was compromised. Um, but, you know, in heaven, God's power is, is absolute. But here on this earth, okay, Jesus had to come and get it back for us. He had to come, you know, he had to die, and he had to be raised up again after three days, and then he had to take up his authority, and he had to give it to us so that we can exercise his rule and reign here on this earth. Okay? So, you know, when we pray for North Korea, we're praying not just that the evil regime would be toppled, but we're praying that God's rule and reign will be established in North Korea. We're praying that Jesus Christ will be enthroned in that land. Um, and the best picture of what the promised land looks like is to see Jesus' ministry on the earth. Okay? And when Jesus came, the word of God says that he came to destroy the works of the devil. Okay, so he came to pretty much tear down the works of Satan and to build up the kingdom of God. And for a majority of his ministry, did he, you know, he taught, he preached in the synagogues. But what did he do? You know, he healed the sick. He cast out demons. Okay, healed the lepers. Okay, he demonstrated the power of God. And God is a God of power and he calls his people to manifest his power. Did Jesus die just so that you can evade hell and make your way safely to heaven? You know, did he die so that you can just come to church on Sunday and be like, yay, you know, nice to see you guys. Okay, peace out. And then come back on Sunday, right? Um, is, that, is that it? Is that all, all you expect from your Christian life and your Christian walk? You know, if that's all that Jesus wanted, he, he could have just stayed in one place, gathered some people, and was like, hey, let's have... Friday fire, let's have the prayer meeting, okay? Let's have some prayer meetings, okay? Let's sing some songs, okay? And then that's it. That's, that's all we're going to do. 
But what did his ministry look like? Did he stay in one place? No, he went from place to place. Everywhere that he went, he manifested the power of God. Um, and, you know, doing church here, it's, it's wonderful. Like, it's amazing, right? Like, I love Seaside. <laughs> seaside is great. Um, but this is not our promised land. You know, if this is all we have and this is all, this, if this is it, then I'm going to be really unsatisfied. And, <laughs> and I'm not here to disqualify, like, what's, you know, what we have here. Um, like I said, this is, you know, we're doing God's work here. But I believe that God wants us to step into more, you know. And the reason why we pray, especially these days, for, you know, just that God would give us that boldness to step out into the city is because we want to see God's kingdom advance here in Busan, outside of these four walls, okay? No, I love this, but there has to be more, okay? There has to be more. And Jesus speaks to Nathaniel, Nathaniel okay? And I'm going to give you some verses. And he says, in, um, he says, you will see greater things than these. Truly, truly, I say to you, you will see heaven opened and the angels of God ascending and descending on the Son of Man. And then he says in John 14, 12, Truly, truly, I say to you, whoever believes in me will also do the works that I do, and greater works than these will he do, because I am going to the Father. Okay? I want you to turn to your neighbor and say, you will do greater works than Jesus. Okay, do you believe that? Do you believe it? Wow, nobody believes it. <laughs> okay. So, I mean, was Jesus joking here? Like, was he, did he go a little overboard with this, you know, affirmation? He was like, yeah, you guys can do it. And then he went a little overboard. No, you know, I believe that, you know, Jesus, he always speaks truth, okay? So if he says that we're going to do greater works than him, then we're going to do greater works than him, okay? We will surpass his works. This is the promise that he has given to us. And this promised land of seeing God's supernatural work, it's not just for the select few. You know, it's not just for the Heidi Bakers and the Todd Whites and the superstar, like, Christians out there. It's for you, okay? It's for all, for all those who believe. Mark chapter 16, verse 17 says, And these signs will accompany those who believe. In my name they will cast out demons. They will speak in new tongues. They will pick up serpents with their hands. And if they drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt them. They will lay their hands on the sick, and they will recover. Okay, I'm going to say this one more time, okay? I'm just going to change it around a little bit. Okay. And these signs will accompany you who believe. In God's name, you will cast out demons. You will speak in new tongues. You will pick up serpents with your hands. And if you drink any deadly poison, it will not hurt you. You will lay your hands on the sick, and they will recover. Amen. Okay, and Jesus didn't say, he didn't say that these signs are going to accompany only, you know, the Peters or the Pauls, okay? He said, these signs will accompany those who believe. Um, brothers and sisters, this is a picture of your promised land that you are destined for, okay? Do you want to enter and possess the promised land? Do you want it, okay? You know, you have to do whatever is necessary to possess the promised land. You know, you may have to pay a price. Just like the Israelites, you know, when they actually entered into the promised land under the leadership of Joshua, they had to fight against the inhabitants, right? 
they had to do the whole Jericho, you know, the mighty shout, you know, thing. And then that's when they finally possessed the promised land. So you may need to pay a price, okay? But whatever price you pay, it will be worth it because you're gaining the kingdom, okay? Um, and the enemy, he's, he doesn't like this. He doesn't want you to go into the promised land. He doesn't want you to enter into your destiny. And so he might do whatever, you know, he, you know, whatever he does, whatever he likes to do, he, which he always does, right? It's, pretty much, it's like kind of the same thing all the time. But um, he does what he does to oppose you, okay, and to try to stop you from stepping into your destiny. But, okay, you know, people of God, you know, as, as we understand that we are in covenant with God, whatever promise that he has given to us in this covenant, it will stand forever, okay? And in Genesis chapter 22, verse 17, God tells Abraham, your offspring shall possess the gates of his enemies, and in your offspring shall all the nations of the earth shall be blessed, okay? And this promise is not just for Abraham, it's for you, because you are the offspring of Abraham. So you will possess the gate of your enemies, okay? Your, you know, if we stand upon this promise, it means that our victory is guaranteed, okay? And I believe that this, this is your inheritance, okay? This is your inheritance. This is what God created you to do, okay? This is your destiny, okay? And so, you know, this heart of repentance, this deeper repentance that I believe that God is calling us to in this hour, you know, it's because I, I really believe that Seaside, you know, has a key role in really taking the New Philly church into their destiny. And as Seaside members, as Seaside, you know, people, you know, I, I, I really believe that today, you know, God is calling us into this deeper place of repentance, okay? So I want us to close your eyes. Where's the music? You know, this message about repentance, um, it's not so that you can wallow in self-pity. You know, it's not so that you can feel condemned. But what I am calling you to do is to rise up and to be who you are, to be who you were created to be. And you were created to be a people who walk into the fullness of who God has called you to be. You're created to walk into your destiny, into your promised land. Okay. But I think there are some of us here who, you know, all we're used to is this Christian life of just doing church. We just come every Sunday, but we've never really experienced the power of God. We've never really hungered for the power of God, okay? And I believe that God is calling us today for a deeper level of repentance, where it's not just, oh, I did this wrong, so I'm just going to, you know, come before the Lord. But are, are you, do you want to perceive as God perceives? Now, do you want to see as he sees? Do you want everything in your life, everything in your heart, your mind to be aligned to the goodness of God and, for, and to the fullness of who he is calling you to be? And, you know, there's always a grace for repentance, okay? Um, but I think that God doesn't always give the call for repentance. And, you know, today I'm calling 
us to a place of deeper repentance before the Lord. And I want you to know that here in this house that you are fully loved and fully accepted. Okay? And so when you when you step out in this in this uh uh when you step out in faith, okay, and you come into this place of repentance, I want you to know that you're surrounded by love and you're surrounded by acceptance. Okay. But you know, brothers and sisters, we cannot remain in a place of living uh, a Christian life that is lukewarm, you know, of just doing just the right things, you know, and of just kind of doing what, you know, we were always taught to do where it's more tradition, where it's more just habit than it is a real living relationship with the Lord. And so what I want uh, you to do right now is just to, just to kind of meditate upon what you just heard in this message. You know, ask the Lord, like, is there anything that you want me to repent of? You know, is there anything in my mindset? Is there anything in how I've been um, just living, you know, in my relationships that have not been in full accord with what you desire for me? So take some time. God is showing you anything, I want you to repent. Now remember that repentance is a step towards life. You know, it is not a place of shame, but it is a joyful act of turning to the Lord. for us. Mm. Father God, I just thank you, Lord. God, that you call us, Lord God, to enter into the promised land. God, that you call us, Lord, to possess the promised land, Lord. And all the things that you have in store for us, God, all the blessings, all the promises, Lord, written in your word and God spoken through your voice, Lord. I thank you, God, that it is ours, God. We say yes and amen, Father, to all that you have for us, God. And Father, we do not come into agreement with the spirit of fear any longer, but Father, we come into agreement with your spirit, God, with what you are speaking over us, God, with your promises over our lives, God. Father God, we cancel all the works of the enemy, God, right now in the name of Jesus. And Lord God, we pray, God, that you will just give us the courage, Lord, to step out, Father. We pray, God, that you would give us that faith, Lord. We thank you for your keeping power, God. Father, that you will not allow us, Father, to wander in the wilderness, God. But Lord, that you will surely take us into the promised land. And so, Father, we just place ourselves, God, in your hands right now, Lord. And Father, I just thank you, Lord, for the 
the repentance, Father, that is going out right now for the spirit of repentance, God. And I thank you, Father God, that when we repent, God, Father, you turn your heart towards us, Lord, and you embrace us, God. And Father, you are so pleased with us, Lord.